Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you're all doing well and ready for an incredible Lent. Today is Ash Wednesday when we receive ashes on our forehead, which resembles the reality of what is said in the Old Testament, that we are dust and to dust we shall return. It is uh, recognizing our humility, our our utter dependency and the very fact that we're even alive is from God himself and we can we are nothing without him and it's the dust that we shall return so this becomes a season of penance as we participate for Easter which before we get to the resurrection of Jesus on on Sunday out of joy we have to go through the cross, right? So it's this reality of, of, of Jesus dying for all of our sins. So it's this time of, of prayer and penance. And this, this comes with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, right? So I want to dive deep into that reality right now, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So we actually see Jesus talk directly. He's not, this, these, are, these are not options, that, but these are expectations for all Christians. Because when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this and look like this. When you give alms, give like this. So these are not uh, options for Christians. These are a daily reality of um, the interior life of our hearts and to be purified and out of that great humility and to do uh, participate in the life of Jesus. So this actually goes back, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. This goes back to undo the very first sins of the first our first parents, Adam and Eve. So if you look back in Genesis, you're, we're going to see that in Genesis, you see this threefold temptation. So when the woman saw that there was that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So we see here, see here this threefold dimension, right? Because, and this is in, that was in Genesis 3, 6, which afterwards it goes on to say that she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband and he ate. And this is a direct correlation with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So, uh, and this is directly um, discussed by 1 John in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And he says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh, and two, the lust of the eyes, and three, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we see this incredible connection between Genesis and 1 John. And it's drawing out these three uh, interior realities of the heart and Adam and Eve uh, out of their disobedience became the first fall and what we can be in, what we're inclined to do as humans as the first fall. So there's this parallel of three temptations associated with the forbidden fruit in Genesis. And it can be viewed as paralleling the three temptations described in 1 John uh, 2. So you see this threefold lust, the three temptations, and the forbidden fruit. So this first part is the lust of the flesh, where the temptation behind that is the pleasure of the senses. And the forbidden fruit that we see in Genesis 3 is that it says that it was good for food. 
The second uh, part of lust is the lust of the eyes. And the temptation behind it is the covetous, covetousness for earthly goods. And we see in Genesis 3, 6 that it says it was a delight to the eyes. And then we see this this third uh, lust of pride of life. And we see and that the, what's behind that is self-assertion. It's pride. And the forbidden fruit, we see that in Genesis 3 where it says it was desirable to make one wise. So that is what the woman saw in the, in the tree, right? So it was this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So in other words, the forbidden fruit was desirable as food. It was appealed to the carnal desire, that is the lust of the flesh. It was also a delight to the eyes, which corresponds to the lust of the eyes. Finally, the fruit is said to impart knowledge of good and evil. As interpreters have observed, determining what is good is God's prerogative in the Genesis narrative. He pronounced created things good in Genesis 1 and recognized that, that man's solitude is not good in Genesis 2. The serpent suggests if they just eat of the fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil in Genesis 3.5, the serpent says. This invokes self-assertion in its most naked form. They are tempted with the promise that they can be like God without God. So Matthew and Luke uh, parallel this with the new Adam of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And so we see uh, that Jesus faced these exact same three temptations um, in the wilderness. So after his baptism, Jesus is driven out into the desert. And then after those 40 days where he's hungry and thirsty, and he's in utter weakness. That's when he was tempted by the devil. And it was by these three temptations. So we see this symmetry here between the, the fall in Genesis and in First John's enumeration of vice and the three and here the three temptations of Jesus. So let's briefly look at those temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. And you see this in the Gospel of Matthew, which is focused on Jesus' kingship, and in the Gospel of Luke, where the Gospel is focused on Jesus' eternal high priesthood. And in both cases, the devil is trying to get Jesus to not see himself in his full identity as the Son of God. Because every single time, you'll see that that Satan says, if you are the son of God, if you are, the, if you are this, if you are this, then do this and this will happen. So you see the temptations and I'm going to read from Luke chapter four. So when he's in the wilderness, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil after that took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I, sh I will. If you then will worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. You see Jesus' high priesthood here. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an op opportune time. And that opportune time, by the way, is back at Jesus' crucifixion, right? Because guess what? Those three temptations, again, are, are coming from the people to Jesus on the cross. If you are the chosen one, if you are the if you are the savior of the world, save yourself and us. If you are, take your if you are the son of God, take yourself down upon that off that cross. 
So we see it come again, but that's just another insight. But from that temptation, we saw um, we saw multiple things, right? So we see first that Jesus overcomes a temptation, uh, a temptation of carnal appetites, right? So he's hungry after 40 days. And the devil says, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread, which probably would sound good, but he renounces it. Second, in renouncing the glory of the worldly kingdoms, a notion associated with wealth, Christ overcomes the lust of eyes. So this is when the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, if you will give all the... To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall be yours. So this is Jesus' kingship, right? So he is already the king of the entire world. But the devil is tempting him to bow down and worship him and in order to have all these kingdoms. So it's that, that lust of the eyes. He sees all these kingdoms that he could have. And he renounces that too, and he overcomes it. And finally, in refusing to cast himself down and rely on the angels to bear him up, as we just read when he takes him to the top of the Jerusalem temple, which is the center of everything for Jewish people, that is uh, everything to them. Jesus, as the eternal high priest, is taken all the way to the top of that, and he's tempted as the eternal high priest to throw himself down and to be saved by the angels. But Christ also refuses that, uh, to he refuses to assert himself, thereby conquering the pride of life. So we see that threefold dimension from those three temptations that were there at the very beginning of the fall and our new Adam, Jesus, perfectly renouncing all three of those and overcoming that. And we as Christians are supposed to unite ourselves with the new Adam to renounce all of those sta- those things as well, to redo the the first the first fall that happened in Genesis so that we become union with our new Adam, Jesus, and our and the new Eve, Mary. So as Christians in 1 John 2, we are told to participate in that and by Jesus himself when he says, when you, when you give alms, when you pray, and when you fast, it's because it's that three, uh, three-fold dimension of us overcoming with him, uh, overcoming those three temptations that were there. So just... To summarize again, we see that in Genesis three in Genesis three six that it was good for food, which in First John two six calls it the lust of the flesh, and the temptations in the wilderness of uh, in of Jesus it was to satisfy his hunger. So the spiritual discipline of that is to fast. And then we see again for the second one is in Genesis 3, 6, there was a delight to the eyes. So in 1 John 2, 16, it refers to that. It calls it the lust of the eyes. And we see Jesus um, being tempted by that to receive glory of all the kingdoms. And for us Christians, the the spiritual discipline of that is almsgiving, is to whatever we receive, give it away. And then um, in Genesis 3, 6 as well, the third one is it looked, the food looked desirable to make one wise. And in 1 John 2, 16, it's called the pride of life. And Jesus was also tempted by this when when the devil tempted him to call upon angelic intervention if he threw himself down. And us as Christians renounce that temptation with the third spiritual discipline of prayer. So we see that not only is fasting, almsgiving, and prayer good, but is it is necessary and we have to do it as Christians because we are supposed to unite ourselves with the new Adam and the new Eve, Mary, 
and we become united with them to renounce all of those things that is the undoing of those threefold temptations that our first parents of Adam and Eve fell from. And it's our uh, it's our uniting with that to become Christians detached from the world and to become perfectly united with God himself because he is enough and he alone is what we want. So with Jesus, we can say, Man shall not live on bread alone in order to renounce that lust of the flesh. And with Jesus, we can say, we shall worship the Lord our God and him only shall we serve to renounce the lust of the eyes or the lust of of uh, gaining possessions in this world. And <clears throat> with Jesus, we shall say, you, we shall not tempt the Lord our God because out of humility we renounce that that temptation of pride to become fully conformed with Jesus, to be made uh, conformed fully and to live transformed to the image of the Son, Jesus.